0: There's an unfortunate stereotype about lawyers being self-centered and unsympathetic. And while it's frequently unwarranted, sometimes the aggressiveness that comes with being a talented lawyer may get in the way of behaving like a reasonable person. And situations where tact may be more useful than bellicose behavior. I'm Stephanie Francis-Ward, and on today's episode of the ABA Journal's Asked and Answered, I'm speaking about etiquette for attorneys with Dr. Sharon Mead Abrahams, who serves as Foley and Lardner's Director of Professional Development and Diversity and Inclusion. Welcome to the show, Sharon. It's wonderful to be here. So I think something about etiquette that people might lose sight about sometimes is really it's about making people feel comfortable and enjoying their experience. Can you... Delve into that a bit for me and talk about that a bit. Certainly. I think most people think of etiquette as
1: something that the South does extremely well, that Southern hospitality. But the reality is etiquette has existed for a very long time. Way, way back when tribes used talking sticks. That's a form of etiquette. The person with the stick gets to talk. So etiquette is about everybody understanding the rules of the game, what's expected from everyone, and allows people to feel comfortable in a situation. Even even if they don't know what the situation is, there's a comfort because the etiquette would be across the board and everybody should have it.
0: Right. I think something that's hard for many attorneys is the small talk that can be involved at business events or client events. First off, what are some good ways to make small talk in a way of people you don't know very well Is comfortable for everyone involved? What do you think? So small talk and mingling
1: terrifies certain people. And there's certainly enough attorneys out there that fall into the categories of, let's call them introverts. So small talk can be extremely stressful to them. So my very first advice is, know what's going on in the world listen to the radio, read the paper, even look at your phone before you go to an event. So you're not at an event where people say, did you hear about that earthquake that hit Mexico? And you're like, huh, what? Mm -hmm. Be up to date on what's going on in the world around you. That's a great basis for small talk. Also, be prepared At an event that you're going to, whether it's a holiday party or a chamber of commerce launch, whatever it is, be prepared with some questions to ask people that you know are going to be there. So what brings you to this event is a great opening question. And from that, small talk will begin, just flow very naturally. I think the most important thing with small talk is to look people in the eye, be friendly, smile, which I know some attorneys have difficulty with because that's not their (laughs) nature, but just... Be interesting by being interested in the other person. And small talk should flow naturally from that.
0: Well, do you think, too, you mentioned being prepared about the news. Is it helpful, too, to kind of know the background of the people there who you'd like to speak with? So figure out who's on the committee. Google them so you can say, oh, yes, I saw that you did such and such. Because people tend to, I think, with small talk, sometimes if you can talk to people about themselves, It makes you look like you're wonderful at small talk. Absolutely. You're being interested in them makes you an
1: interesting person because, oh, let's just call it out. Most lawyers like to talk about what? Themselves. Mm -hmm. So depending on the type of event, if you're going to a conference or to some type of luncheon where you actually can Google the people ahead of time and say, ooh, I'd like to meet the president of this organization or the the head of this particular practice area – you know ahead of time that you want to meet them, and you'll be prepared to ask them questions. Oh, I read in the paper about your company, you've made some changes, or I read that you had a fantastic uh, outcome in a trial. And so yes, that makes you more interesting because you're asking them more questions and getting them to talk about themselves. Preparation is difficult, though, if you're going to an event and you don't necessarily know people who are going to be there. So look for neutral things to talk about. Well, I guess neutral in Chicago doesn't work because either you're a Cubs fan, Mm. White Sox fan, whatever, and that might not be neutral. But sports typically can be neutral. The weather is always neutral. And world events uh, may or may not be neutral, but it's at least something you can talk about. So Preparation of who you're going to talk to, what you're going to talk to them about, and then general preparation when you don't know anybody who's going to be there. And
0: if you don't know anyone there and you see a group of people chatting, but you think maybe I'd like to chat with them too, how can you enter that group gracefully?
1: This is absolutely one of the hardest things to do. And it's very daunting because if you are... On the introverted side, it's very stressful to do that. I wish I could demonstrate this visually to Mm -hmm. you, but imagine two people standing there talking to each other. Let's say, let's just start with you know one person. Well, when you walk up, walk into their sight line. So if they see you and if they have good etiquette, they would say, hi, Stephanie, join our conversation. That would be good etiquette. Not everybody would do that, but hopefully that they would. But if you don't know either of the individuals and you walk up to them because you want to meet them, you know who they are, but you don't actually know them personally, walk up, listen to a little bit of their conversation. Are they having a general conversation about the weather, about sports, whatever – Or are they talking about something personal or business? If it's personal or business, keep walking. Don't interrupt them. But if they're talking about that game last night that everybody watched and went into overtime, then by all means, you can certainly say, wow, that was a fabulous game. I really enjoyed la, 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 la. They may look at you like, who are you? Why are you joining? But if you say something that's pertinent to the conversation and maybe something that piques interest, they'll include you in the conversation. Now, I can say that in generalities, but not everyone has good etiquette. But that is the way you would
0: enter into a conversation with complete strangers. Well, and you said they may kind of look at, you know, what if someone doesn't have good etiquette, How, and you just feel, oh, this is so awkward. Right. <laughs>
1: what do you do? Okay, so great, great <laughs> scenario. So it's awkward. You've tried to say something. So immediately, I would say, hi, I'm Sharon. This is the first time I've been to this event. Have you been to this event before? So introduce yourself, state your name, first name, last name, whatever you feel comfortable with. If it's a, a firm event or organization event, you can say, hi, I'm Sharon from the Miami office, and that gives some context for the individual, and hopefully they'll say, oh, well, welcome, because you've reached out and said your name first, Mm -hmm. and then hopefully they'll respond with what their name is. It is really hard to do that, and I will recommend that everyone practice speaking to strangers. In line at the grocery, look in their basket and say, oh, I've never tasted that flavor of uh, ice cream. Mm -hmm. Or in an elevator, say good morning. That really shocks people. Or on an airplane, talk to people next to you. And that will begin to give you the confidence to speak to a complete stranger in a controlled environment.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, on the other side of it, what if you've been having small talk with someone for a long time and you're ready to speak with someone else? How do you do that gracefully so the person um, isn't offended or their feelings aren't hurt? Absolutely. So there's a couple of things. One, anyone who dates knows that one of the
1: easiest way to get out of a conversation with someone you're not interested in is to say, excuse me, I have to use the restroom. And that breaks it pretty simply. That's probably not the best etiquette in a, in a formal event. <laughs> you know, um, It might be a real reason, but it's not the best etiquette. One of the greatest things that you can do to show that you have good etiquette while you're talking to someone is look around the room and find someone else that you know and take that person that you're talking to and introduce them to someone else and say, Joe, Mm. this is Mark. We were having a great conversation about my grandmother's recipe for Mm. apple pie. Don't you make apple pie? Now talk among yourselves and you can nicely
0: walk away, but you've not left that person hanging. You've connected them to someone else. And if you know a bit about that person, it seems like if you can bring them in and introduce them, then you're making the event more enjoyable, perhaps for your colleague, Absolutely. Too. Yeah, yeah. So there's something called host behavior and guest behavior. Mm-hmm.
1: If you go to an event and you're just a guest, you just stand around waiting for people to say hello to you and all of that. But if you act as a host, and I'm not saying you are the host, but you act as a host is what you're saying, you make other people feel comfortable, even though it's not your event. You can say, I'd like to introduce you to someone, or hey, let's go get food, or I'm going to freshen my drink. Those things make you the host, and that increases your confidence. Other people will perceive that much better than just, oh, I'm standing here waiting for someone to talk to me.
0: You work with young attorneys a lot who are coming in, and I'm curious if you can speak generally if there's things that young attorneys might do while they're at work that people would view as rude, that maybe they don't realize it because it's the first time they've had a, you know, a job with an office. Right.
1: All right. So there's a couple of things. The two words that either your parents, your aunt and uncle, or your grandparents taught you are... Please and thank you. Mm -hmm. These are the most critical pieces of etiquette because, as a baby attorney, you probably have an assistant who is probably old enough to Mm -hmm. be one of your parents or at least an older sibling. So, just asking them, Can you please help me with this? or Thank you for doing that document for me, such last notice. Please and thank you are critical. Also, saying hello to people in the morning. That's good etiquette. Don't just walk down the hall and start barking at people, but say, good morning. How was your weekend? It doesn't mean you have to get engaged into a long conversation. Those are some very basic things. The number one issue for young attorneys, though, is related to their cell phones and Mm. how they treat the cell phones in meetings, in client meetings, in senior partner meetings and all of that. And my best advice on cell phones is... Pay attention to the people talking to you and put your cell phone either off or leave it in your office because if you're talking to a client or a senior partner, give them your undivided attention. And that's hard for young people nowadays. Their attention is divided often. With all the things going on in their lives, they don't know how to focus. And so getting rid of your cell phone for an important meeting is actually a critical piece of
0: etiquette. So if you go to a senior partner's office and it's just the two of you, you should not have your cell phone out is what you're saying, correct? Correct. Now- If you
1: have something happening in your life where you need to have your cell phone with you, for instance, you might be on another deal that's in the midst of closing. So you might want to say to the senior partner, I'm working with partner B on a closing, so I'm going to leave my phone on in case something blows up. Are Mm -hmm. you okay with that? That's etiquette. That's allowing the other person to feel comfortable that you have your phone out. Another reason you would have your phone out is, let's say, Somebody's going to have a baby, or Mm -hmm. somebody's had surgery. Other than that, the 20 minutes you're with that partner, or even that hour, you can be offline. You don't have to be connected electronically. Pay attention to the partner. You'll get your best training, your best mentoring by really focusing on them.
0: I'm curious, I would guess that having a cell phone out in a meeting is not just something that associates do. I would imagine senior partners do it too, right? And what do they tend to think? I mean, they're the boss, so they can do what they want, right? But I'm curious. I don't think it's an ageist thing.
1: It, it's not necessarily an thing. Age age. Some people are very addicted to their phones, and uh-huh. you can just walk down the street and bump into someone yes. who's addicted to their phone. So etiquette has a lot to do with safety issues also. Believe it or not, I think we've all seen that video where the man was walking down the street on the phone and bumped into a bear. Remember that? That was a couple of years ago. If you're focused on your phone, you're not focused on what you're doing whether it's walking down the street, walking down the hall, or concentrating on the conversation you're having at the time. Depending on who it is, even the most senior person needs to put their cell phone down. What if it's with a client? So who takes priority? Not the senior partner, but the client takes priority. So the same advice for the young person I'd give to the senior person, especially if they're in front of a client. But what if you're just in front of your own colleagues? Well, you know, if you're having a, a casual lunch with your friends or colleagues at work, leave your phones on. I don't really care about that. Mm -hmm. But if you need to give undivided attention, I think that's really the key. For the comfort of everybody in the room, undivided attention is put your cell phone at least on vibrate and keep it in your pocket.
0: Well, I would imagine too, if you're a younger attorney who does this, it could probably give you a bit of an edge because everyone likes someone who gives them their undivided attention, right? And it's so rare nowadays. (laughs) (laughs) So now we get to the fun stuff. We get to talk about parties. So first things first, what are your thoughts on etiquette for arriving at holiday parties?
1: All right. So the key question is, is it just a cocktail-style party or is it a dinner party? So if it's a cocktail-style party, and let's say it's called for 7 p.m., you can arrive Anytime after 7 p.m., 7.15, even 7.30 if you need to make a grand entrance. Don't arrive too late because then you'll miss all the good networking. So you can arrive at any time within the first 30 minutes. For a seated dinner, however, if it's called for 7 p.m., you need to be there at 7 p.m. Because a seated meal has been timed specifically to be served either 7.30 or 7.45. And if you arrive late to that, you've really messed up the chef's planning So it's very important for meals to be on time. Cocktail parties, you have a little leeway. But another thing I'd like to share with you, that if you're going to be late to an event because you have another event to go to or you just know that you're going to be late, let your host know that you're very excited to be invited but that you will be showing up late or possibly need to leave early. It's just good etiquette to let people know what's happening.
0: And would you say that if you're going to be late, a text might be better than a phone call because when you're at the last minute of your event and you're getting all these calls of questions, it kind of throws you off. Well, if you text the host mm-hmm. of an event, that
1: person may or may not have their phone on them. Mm. They may or may not be overwhelmed with other things. So they may or may not have missed the text. Ah. So if it's a last minute thing, you might not be able to let them know you're going to be late. But if you know ahead of time that you need to leave an event early, uh, early, or you're going to arrive late because of something else, just let them know that ahead of oh, time. Oh, of course. Yeah. And you can email or call or yeah. text. In the midst of traffic, mm-hmm. I bet you they're getting a lot of texts yes. that a lot of people are going to be late.
0: <laughs> How about leaving a party? What's your advice on that?
1: So here's a funny thing. Holiday parties may have on the invitation 7 to 11, let's say. So you know the party's going to be over at 11. So then you need to leave by 11. Mm-hmm. All right? I have been at work events where people didn't leave at 11, and that means the hotel is paying overtime for staff, or if it's someone's home, they might want to get cleaned up and go to sleep. So you need to leave by the ending time. If there is no ending time on an invitation, be reasonable. When you see the majority of people leaving, that's a good time to exit. If you need to leave early, again, let the host know that you're leaving early. And by the way, if it's a Big event, you don't necessarily need to find the host to say goodbye, but if it's a small event, you know, less than, let's say, 50 people, find that host and just say thank you as you leave. Shake their hand. Show your graciousness for being invited.
0: Do you have advice on looking for cues that it's time to leave?
1: Well, if the host is flashing the lights, then you need to go. <laughs> Sometimes the cues are a
0: little bit more yes, subtle. Yes. Look for some yawns.
1: Yes. Um, it, it's actually very interesting, and it depends on if it's an event at a hotel or a restaurant versus something that is in someone's home. If it is in someone's home, a subtle hint really is the host beginning to clean up. That is very much a sign. Oh, that tray of appetizers is now empty or that tray of snacks is now empty and they're taking it away and they're not replacing it with a new snack, then you know that the party's come to an end. In a hotel and things like that, I think a good, or even a restaurant, a good measure is that things are rented in three or four hour blocks. Mm. So if you've been there for three hours, take a look around and people are beginning to leave. You know the party's over. If it's a four hour block, people will begin to leave closer to the fourth hour. Sometimes it's hard to know, but be reasonable. Be reasonable.
0: Okay. What are your thoughts about if someone is hosting a holiday meal for clients or business associates, what are some good ways to make your guests feel comfortable and have them enjoy the experience?
1: All right. So the question is, where are you hosting it? Are you hosting in a restaurant a hotel or let's say at your home. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about a restaurant first. So if you've taken a group of clients out or one particular client and their entire team, one of the most helpful types of etiquette you can have in a restaurant as a host is to say to the guests, if you're looking at the menu, let's say it's not a preset. Preset, then you know what the meal is. But let's say it's not a preset menu. And let's pick a fancy steak restaurant. Mm -hmm. And the most expensive thing on the menu is a surf and turf. If you say to your guests, I am going to enjoy the surf and turf, please enjoy it yourself. That's signaling to them that it's okay for them to order the lobster. Mm -hmm. If you don't give them a parameter in which they should price their food then they're at a loss and that takes away that comfort that you as a host want to do if you're hosting someone at your home one of the things that in today's world with all the gluten-free and all the allergies and all that the one thing you can do is invite them and say let me know if you have any dietary restrictions and then have a vegetarian option or a seafood free option or something like that. That's one of the nicest things a host can do.
0: Well, and would you say that, not for everyone, but generally speaking, it might be easier to avoid potential problems if you host a meal at a restaurant instead of your home? And I've heard some people say that if you're having more than six people in for dinner, you really need to bring in staff. I suppose there's always exceptions, but that's kind of the rule of thumb is if you're having a group of people, then bring in staff. Right.
1: So I think that's a personal choice that you'd have to make, mm-hmm. whether you feel comfortable enough having that many people in the house, if you can afford to have the staff and all of that, versus a restaurant. Restaurants are easy. You pay a bill. You walk out. You don't even have to go You don't have to, to clean schlep them, out, right?
0: right? <laughs> because if someone has a home, then you have to schlep out to who knows where.
1: Exactly. And depending on where you live, mm-hmm. right, you could be out in the suburbs. You could be in the city. Mm-hmm. And so it could be an issue. And if it's December... It could be snowing, right? Um, Or it could be beautiful. You never really know.
0: Right. Now, what if you are a guest at one of these? Let's say it's at a restaurant and someone's invited you to a holiday meal as a guest. What should you think about, you know, to let your host know that you're gracious and enjoying yourself and make everyone else there feel comfortable with, with you as a guest?
1: All right. As a guest at a holiday party... If the host has not maybe introduced us to each other, mm-hmm. then one of the things that I would say is that if I was that guest that didn't get introduced, then I would just go around saying, Hi, I'm Sharon. I know the host through work or through uh, as a client or through an association to make the connection. And then I would ask people, How do you know the host? And that's a great way. We talked about small talk earlier to have small talk. How do you know the host? Why are you invited
0: to this event? Mm-hmm. Okay. A lot of people like to give gifts to clients during the holidays. And what advice do you have for a gift that's not really, really expensive, but is meaningful and useful? All right. Gift giving
1: uh, during the holidays can be incredibly stressful because you want to do something that somebody would like Mm -hmm. and enjoy and understand why they're receiving it from you. So you can look at it two ways. Something that's unique to you, Let's say you, as an attorney, let your stress out by baking, and you bake things for your clients, and you say, from the kitchen of me, mm-hmm. and that's a fabulous gift because you've made it yourself. But let's say you're from Kentucky, and Kentucky bourbon is something famous in Kentucky, so you give out Kentucky bourbon to your client because it's something unique to you. Or if you know your client is really interested in something, I'll give you a a funny little story. A client, I worked with an attorney whose client was a big boxing fan. The attorney went out and got a pair of boxing gloves signed. And that was an amazing gift for the client. took a lot of effort to find it and be able to do that. But it was so meaningful and it really created a bond between the client and the attorney. So I think the issue with gift is not the cost, but the meaning behind it.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's everything we have time for today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. And listeners, thank you to you as well. If you like what you heard today, please rate us at Apple Podcasts. We'll see you next time for another episode of the ABA Journals, Asked and Answered.